SEC fans, this is John Christ, senior writer for Saturday Down South. Welcome to another installment of the SDS podcast. Coming to you from the iHeartMedia studio, WDAE in Tampa, Florida, 620 AM and 95.3 FM. You can follow me on Twitter at SaturdayJC. And our guest for this episode is Danny Cannell. He was the ACC Offensive Player of the Year as a quarterback at Florida State in 1995, eventually spending several years in the NFL, New York Giants, Atlanta Falcons, Denver Broncos. Now you can hear him on ESPNU Radio, Sirius XM Channel 84, 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday, talking all things college football. Be sure to follow him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. Danny, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Hey, it's great to be on, John. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. I love uh, your guys' website. always follow what you guys do and uh, thrilled to come on. I think you've got some SDS swag in your closet as well, which we always appreciate. I absolutely do. I have SDS swag for days, and I love rocking it too, and it's funny. I'll go through the airport in Atlanta, and people will hit me up and say, hey, where'd you get that hat? Like, I'm always, I'm always telling people to check out your site. Outstanding. The check is in the mail. The Saturday Down South podcast is brought to you by Sweet Hop. Have you ever been to a game and missed the winning touchdown because you were waiting in line for a beer? What about trying to catch up with your pals, but you're trapped in a row of seats? Thanks to Sweet Hop, you can eliminate these game day distractions by booking a luxury suite online today. Sweet Hop has amazing access for the bowl games taking place Throughout the holiday season, the SEC is dominating the schedule. Nine of 14 teams are bowl eligible and will be going, and you don't want to miss a minute of the action. Sweet Hop is a nationwide marketplace for luxury suite events, helping you get into suites for all your favorite sporting events and concerts as well. Check out all the postseason bowl game availability at SweetHop.com. That's S-U-I-T-E-H-O-P.com. And now Danny Cannell. Danny, this is exactly what this listeners of the podcast were hoping for. A couple of Florida State guys talking SCC. <laughs> That's right. I was going to say, if you're trying to increase uh, listeners to this podcast, if you say Danny Cannell, they're probably unfollowing, unsubscribing, doing everything they can to run as far as possible with my reputation, which I, I get some of it, uh, but I feel like I'm pretty fair mostly. Now, on Twitter, I can be a little bit annoying, but that's a whole other ballgame. Yeah, a lot of people like to hate read the things that I write. I'm sure plenty will hate listen to this episode, which is fine. Um, I tell you, Danny, you and I, you know, we we're about two years apart at Florida State. We didn't know each other in school, but do have some mutual friends. I've been wanting to ask you this question for 20-some years, and I'm just going to get it out of the way, and then we'll move on. But 1994, the choke doke now, I was one of the few guys in my fraternity block who actually stayed for all four quarters of that game. We started off with 100 or so. There was maybe 15 by the fourth quarter. But you turned a 31-3 fourth quarter deficit into a 31-31 tie. It's one of the greatest comebacks in college football history. But tell me, honestly, I've been wanting to ask you this for so long. After that last touchdown, how badly did you want to go for two in the win instead of kicking the extra point in the tie? That question haunts me all the time. <laughs> it does I me just as an alum. I wanted to go for two so bad. And here's the crazy thing about it. 
before, like, so when we started coming back, I'd go over to the headset and I would talk to Mark Rick. He was our offensive coordinator and he was our quarterback coach. And I'd go talk things over with him. And we'd be, you know, after one drive, it was like, hey, that was a good drive. You know, let's, let's try to get another good drive. After two drives, when we cut the lead to 14, he was like, hey, let's, you know, we might be able to pull this thing off. Let's start picking it up a little pace. Let's pick up the pace a little bit on the field. And I was like, yeah, we, I'm starting to feel like you can do it. After we scored three times and cut the lead to seven, Mark Rick told me in the head, he said, hey, he said, we're going to, when we score, he said, when we score, we're going to go for two. And I was, I was all for it. I'm like, yeah, we're, no one can stop us right now. They haven't done anything. They're playing prevent. They're sitting back. Let's do it. So he had a two-point play called. It was going to be 30 trap was the name of the play. Zach Crockett, our fullback. It was the play we scored as the first touchdown of four we scored in the fourth quarter. And it was our fullback, Zach Crockett. He was going to take it right up the middle. And he basically walked in the first time he ran it. So when we did score to tie it up or to, to cut it to uh, one, I'm yelling at the offense saying, because everybody's celebrating, everybody's going nuts, and I'm trying to get everybody to stay on the field so we could have this two-point play called. So meanwhile, I'm doing all that, and like somebody goes, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm getting, we're going for two. And I looked over at the sideline, and Bobby Bowden was just looking at me, and he had one finger in the air, which was our sign for kick the extra point. And I was like, oh, I was like, I guess we're going to kick it. So I was a little bit bummed when I came over. But there was, there was some time left on the clock, and we did get another possession. I yes, you did. Two plays, and we almost had it, and the clock ran out. Uh, if I was able to run any, like if I was running anything below a five flat, we might have actually got a first down and been able to take at least a hail mary or a super long field goal. But I thought we were going to go for two. So yeah, but it was. I think there's no way they would have stopped us. Yeah, it's amazing that you actually had a play call. I, I, I've said, again, for the last 20-some years, as tired as the Gators were on D and as hype as you guys were at that moment, you could have called anything in the playbook and it would have worked. My personal choice, the direct snap to work done that, you know, unfortunately didn't work a year later at Virginia, or throw the alley-oop to Andre Cooper. There's no way he doesn't come down with that. Okay, we've got the Florida State stuff in the rearview mirror. Let's move on for the sake of our listeners. But... Are you being comfortable labeled sort of as this SEC hater? Now, this may not be intentional, but this is sort of where you've been positioned uh, with, uh, with where you are in the media right now. And uh, clearly, it's, it's happening even now with what your thoughts were on the college football playoff selections. Yeah, I don't. I, I, I get it because I think I'm one of the more vocal people that, you know, speak out against the SEC. But I'll, I'll say this. I don't, I don't like when Kirk Herbstreit accuses me of creating some shtick as an anti-SEC guy. I don't like that because I don't feel any of this came from a place was, let me, let me just knock the SEC. And it really went back to the year that uh, Alabama got the rematch with LSU in the national championship game. And that, for me, was kind of when I started getting the most vocal of like, hey, wait a second, why – why is this conference getting a bonus round? Why are they getting two teams to the national championship? And so it really started as a, a problem with the system that we're in, saying, well, why does, why does Oklahoma State get, you know, granted their loss to Iowa State that year was different. It was probably worse. But why are they getting docked for a loss with more penalty than Alabama was? And I didn't like that. And I, I looked around the country, and then you start – looking at some of the other conferences, and I'm like, man, these guys are pretty good too. And yet the, the, the narrative kept coming out, and this is really a credit to the SEC because I think they were genius for doing this. And it really started when they had Auburn run the table and not have a chance at the national championship. Is They wanted to get out there with a narrative and say, hey, we play better football than everybody else, and they started to push that narrative, and everybody ran with it. And if you 
like it, it, and then they started promoting the conference above the team, which to me never made any sense. It still really doesn't. But then you have fans who are not going to schools, but yet they're rooting for the conference. And players are talking about the conference. Coaches are talking about the conference. For me, it was always about Florida State. Like, I wanted to push Florida State. We can beat anybody. Um, there was no chance I was going to – like, and this was before Miami came to the ACC, but I would have never said – hey, you know, it, the Miami's great. Like, they play in our conference. It's good for our conference. No, I just wanted to play for my team. So that was something, like, I started seeing this. So I just started saying, well, hey, wait a second. I think they're really good. And there's no doubt for, uh, the SEC was the best conference in college football for a significant stretch. My biggest message was, yeah, they're really good, but I don't think they're that much better than everybody else. And yet that became the narrative was, the SEC is head and shoulders above everybody else, and I just didn't feel that was the case. And I feel like it's played out in my favor the past few years because I think people have started to have a more realistic view and saying, well, yeah, it has been a few teams at the top, or it has been Alabama the last two or three years that have carried this conference. And then, like, this year, the way things played out this year was my worst nightmare because I was making the same case last year saying Ohio State should have never been in the playoff even though they – uh, because they didn't win the Big Ten. They didn't play in the Big Ten championship game. I thought Penn State should have got in. And this year, as I'm watching it unfold, I'm like, oh, this is going to put me in a really bad spot. But I want to stay true to my conviction, which is I think you should be a conference champion to play for the national championship. So then it just kind of snowballs. And then, of course, the more things play out, the more people will just want to peg me as that. Then it kind of discredits your opinion, which I think is that's the problem I have with it, where if people think, hey, I'm just saying this, just to get attention or just to have a job or just to create some stick because it really isn't. Like, I look at it and I feel like I'm pretty fair in my criticism and I'm also pretty fair in my praise. Like, I, I think there are some teams in the SEC that are really good and I've never been afraid to say that. Now, last year, I still thought the SEC was probably the best conference, mostly because of the top-to-bottom argument. Now, Alabama was on an island at the top, but 1 through 14, I thought it was the best conference in America. This year, it's a different conversation. It's much stronger at the top because Alabama was joined, thankfully, by Auburn and Georgia being very, very good teams. But the East-West disparity is really bad. There's some garbage teams at the bottom. It's still maybe the best conference, but it's a different argument than it was a year ago. How would you well, rate? Hold on a second, but hold real quick. By all means. Last year, last year, did I miss something? Was the SEC East good last year? <laughs> Very true. Because <laughs> that, and that's like that's my job is to keep you in check to make sure you don't say top to bottom. And last year, I don't. I, maybe it was the ACC. Maybe it was the Pac-12. Because the Pac-12 to me, and I feel like you know I get pegged as this ACC pro ACC guy. But I've been more vocal in support of the Pac-12 than I feel like I've been for the ACC. Now, I'll tweet out stuff about the ACC and, you know, put some snark to it. And, you know, when, uh, when Clemson wins the national championship, CC, there's the best conference in the country. But the Pac-12, to me, they're doing what the SEC used to get credit for. Like, the SEC four, five years ago, it used to be, hey, they're beating each other up. Like, that's, if there's a loss, they're beating each other up. The Pac-12 has some really good teams. And they're playing each other a lot. Like, they have the nine-conference game schedule screws them over, so much so that their Pac-12 champion, USC, has two losses, and they're not even considered not even considered championship. You're not even, not even in the conversation. So if I'm Larry Scott, the commissioner for the Pac-12, I'm looking around saying, and just, just imagine for a second, if you were the Pac-12, and instead of playing nine conference games, you played eight, and then you scheduled a cupcake. And, and, and it happens. Every school does it. Every conference does it. But imagine if as a whole, if you only played eight conference games, 
you would you would bump up and assuming you're bumping all your teams Stanford all of a sudden is a 10-win team. Washington, 11-win team. Washington State, 10-win team. Like, you start putting wins in the win column. Oregon, as opposed to 7-5, and five, they're 8-4. and four. Like, it just – the entire complexion of the conference looks entirely different as opposed to, ah, uh, the Pac-12's down this year. You know, they're – Arizona and Arizona State are 7-5. and five. They're no good. Like, that drives me nuts. And I, But that's a bigger picture with college football that I have a problem with. It's not that I want to bash the SEC. It's just like there's no – there's no continuity across college football, which is really my biggest problem. Yeah, you and I are in agreement, by the way, that Alabama did not earn its way into the college football playoff. There's no way you can look at the resumes and say Alabama deserves to be there. That being said, I am firmly of the belief that they're one of the top four teams in America, and they can certainly win it all. Do you believe they're at least one of the top four teams? Uh, maybe. That's the thing, and that's where I feel like there's way too much at stake to put a team based on maybe or based on the eye test. Because if you had Alabama playing Ohio State tomorrow, neutral site, I would probably pick Alabama. I'd say, you know what, they're good. And Vegas would too. But you know when else I picked Alabama? When they played Ohio State in the Sugar Bowl, and they were, I think, a two-touchdown favorite in the first playoff that they squared off against each other, and Ohio State won that game. So, like, for me, you can't go based off the eye test because – and this is where a lot of analysts get sensitive. We as analysts and you as an expert or people that watch the game, we're wrong all the time. And all the time. And who we think is best all the time. So we're going to base our national champion off of who we think is better. And that's the problem. Again, it goes to a bigger flaw with the system, me, than it is against Alabama. Yeah, I think Alabama might be one of the four teams. And they might go on and win it. Like, they might win the national champion. And I'm sure the net championship. And I'm sure people say, see, the committee got it right. That doesn't make the committee right. It, it just it, that's, that to me is not justification of it because I feel like it should be earned on the field. And as much as we can do to have it play out in the field as opposed to 13 board members who are – like it's laughable to me that people say, oh, Kirby Hoka, uh, Jeff Long, like those guys are watching film. They must know who's best. Those guys don't know what they're doing any more than anybody sitting down the street in the couch watching every game. Like they're athletic directors. There's people in power – there is a couple coaches. There are some coaches on that thing, and I'm sure they know a lot of football. But as an entirety, those, and, and the athletic directors that are on the committee, Radikovic uh, from Clemson, does he know more about football than football experts? No. So that's like it's just a crazy system when we can basically, and it amounts to a beauty contest. Like who looks the best? Are you kidding me? That's how we're going to do it? Like that's just why I hate the way we choose the champion and the top four teams. Now, I want to talk about Georgia a little bit. Your opinion might be even more interesting because, as you mentioned earlier, your OC at Florida State was Mark Richt, and he got moved out for Kirby Smart. But the turnaround we've seen at Georgia has been sudden, and it's been impressive. Do you think this was just a good run for the Bulldogs, loaded on defense with lots of upperclassmen, or are you a big believer in what Kirby Smart is doing? Is Georgia set up to really be a powerhouse in the East, maybe mirroring what Alabama has done in the West? Um, I like Kirby Smart. I think he's done an outstanding job. I think he's – I think you see Nick Saban's blueprint all over the, what he's doing. Like, if you look at what they're doing, defensively, really sound. They're as close to dominant as we're seeing out there. Offensively, heavy run game, limiting, limiting the exposure of your quarterback. Uh, it looks the, like the exact same blueprint that Nick Saban had. And it was, to be fair, it's what Jimbo Fisher won with Florida State. Like, he took a blueprint from the SEC or from Nick Saban specifically and implemented it at Florida State. It's a really good philosophy to have if you have the guys to do it, and clearly Georgia does. 
The only thing I would contend is that, and this is this is definitely, I am biased, fully biased towards Mark Ricks. I thought he got a raw deal at Georgia. I thought the fans got spoiled. I thought he delivered for them and delivered winners every single year. But no doubt, there's sometimes it's just a change of scenery can be better. Like, hey, let's move on. Let's start a fresh start. And I think Kirby could do that. The thing that's interesting to me, and I think a lot of this has to do with timing, is, is Kirby Smart could really capitalize on the absurdity of the SEC East, where you've got Florida is a mess with the Jim McElwain situation unfolding. When you've got Tennessee, which is a dumpster fire right now, and they're going through a coaching change. Um, you know, the, you know who else in the SEC East? The South Carolina is looking better. But there's this massive void where it's been anybody. Can anybody come out of the East and just rise to the top? And he's he's got a clear head start on those programs I just talked about. So, yeah, I think for the next – Two years, three years, they sh- and especially with Jake Fromm as a freshman playing, he, but he's getting him back. Yeah, I think Kirby's smart. I think he will make multiple appearances in the SEC championship game. All right, let's get detailed at the game's most important position here, which you played and played very well. Drew Locke at Missouri. He's a guy that was red hot in the second half, set the SEC record for touchdown passes in a season, and he is now getting a lot of love from NFL draft experts. He Maybe he puts his name in the hat a year early, he just lost his offensive coordinator and Josh Heupel. When you watch this kid play, what do you see? I know there's some good. I know there's some bad. But it seems like in terms of tools and measurables and going to the next level, I don't know if he's really missing anything. I don't either. I mean, you look at the decision-making across the board. I think he makes really good decisions with the football. 43 touchdowns is insane. Like, I don't, I don't care what conference you're playing in. It's insane. He's got the size at 6'4". I think he's got the toughness, the ability to withstand hits. And when you've been on a part of a bad team and yet you're able to kind of turn it around and keep your team competitive, that to me is the most or the biggest compliment you could play to a quarterback, like who doesn't hang it up, who gets guys to play for him. And granted, some of that goes to the head coach, but the fact that you're still fighting and getting out there and putting your body on the line and taking some of those hits and coming back and making throws and getting your team completely turned around from what looked like was going to be a three or four win season all the way to seven, like that's that's really, really impressive. And the fact that he's doing it with a team, you know, and granted you could say it's the SEC East, it's not the same, but he's had a ton of success. And I, I would agree with you. I think, uh, it, I think he's got to sit down and talk to the NFL evaluators, find out what his projection would be. And I used to be old school on this. I used to be like, hey, get your degree, stay four years, you can do it. But he's shown enough. Like you, if, you get, if you get a projection of a first-round grade, I would jump all over it if I'm Drew Locke. And I think he's ready. Now let's talk about a couple of other quarterbacks in the SEC. We'll see how much longer they're actually in the league. But Shea Patterson and Jacob Eason, they came in both as five-star, highly heralded guys for the class of 2016 not that long ago. It's possible that both of them are done for this conference. There's been rumors about Patterson to Michigan. Go ahead. Yep. Yeah, there's rumors about reasons too. Yeah, obviously very, very different reasons. You know, Patterson with the situation of Ole Miss, you can't blame him if he's dancing with Jim Harbaugh right now. Eason just is not going to get that job back from Jake Fromm. But the way I want to ask this question is just playing quarterback now in the expectations now versus when you were in Tallahassee because you weren't a full-time starter until you were a fourth-year junior. I believe you started one game earlier in your career when Charlie Ward was hurt, but you were four years on campus, and that was okay back then. That's For some reason, that's just not okay anymore. The environment of this quarterback derby, I would love to get your take. 
It's crazy. Like I and I, I fully was not ready to play. And it's funny you said that because I actually I only sat two years. So I was, but the plan when I was recruited from Bobby Bowden and I was totally okay with this was for me to redshirt to sit out two years and then start and then have two years to start. And that was kind of the. Um, so I would have sat out three years, just been there three years and not play it down. And I would have been fine with that. I was like, yeah, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm, I'm just, I'd only played high school football for two years. I'm thinking that's okay. Then when I got on campus, uh, we had a couple injuries. There was a quarterback named Jeff McCrone. He was going to be the backup, and he hurt his elbow. Kenny Felder was a guy that was a baseball guy and football. He signed for Major League Baseball. So I was thrust into the backup role as a true freshman, and I had no idea what I was doing. And I was like, uh-oh, what, what's going on? I was terrified. Nowadays, you have quarterbacks who are asking for guarantees to start before they even step on campus. They get there early, and it's a different mindset for sure. And I'm okay with it. I want, and, and guys are more ready than they've ever been because they're running systems in high school that are complex and they're very similar to what you're seeing run at the collegiate level. So I'm okay with it. I'm not knocking anybody for wanting to play. I give him credit because I'm like, man, I would have, I would have crumbled. There's no way I would have been ready. But you've seen, like, and Jake Fromm's a great example. The guy gets on campus early. I love the fact that he wanted to go to Georgia and he didn't care if there was a five star sitting in front of him. And Jacob Eason, he's like, so what? I want to play. I'm gonna, I want to compete. Didn't ask for a guarantee. So let me have a chance to compete. And man, he turned heads. And then he gets on the field. And there's no wonder he's ready to play. So, I, the expectations for quarterbacks have completely changed. With Shea Patterson, I feel bad for him, and I feel bad for any player at Ole Miss. Like, this is one where I think the NCAA has to step in and say, all right, if you – and this is where it gets really tricky, though, because I, I get the NCAA gets crushed a lot, but how do you prove that players didn't know what was going on? Because if, if they didn't, and it was coaches or it was other players on that team who were uh, committing violations – they should be allowed to leave and, and without penalty should be able to play. Like, I hate that. If Shea Patterson leaves, he's going to have to sit out. Like, that's, that to me is not fair, and I think that's wrong. Um, but, you know, it's kind of the system we're in right now. I wish that was a rule that they could change. Yeah, I'm with you there. So before we are done with the show here, I want to get a little, little personal with you, if that's okay, and talk about the business yeah. that we're in. Now, you were one of the very – probably the most surprising – layoff at ESPN a while back. We know that it's a bloodbath in the sports media business these days. It's only going to get worse. It's not going to get better anytime soon. But your show with Ryan Rosillo was incredibly popular, very different, and a lot of fun for a lot of people. And you were all in with ESPN. I mean, you move your family there. You've got two young daughters, I believe. You're doing radio. You're doing TV. Your profile seems to be going up. And then all of a sudden, it's gone. And I'm curious sort of what your reaction was in the moment and now, six or seven months or so removed from it, how you feel about how it all went down? Yeah, I was devastated. I mean, I really was. I had, you know, I had, like you said, I had made a serious commitment to ESPN, and I thought that that commitment would not, I mean, I, granted, I, there's, there's things that happen in life that you can't control. The business changes. They're trying to make cutbacks to save salary. But I thought there were enough other options of people who didn't live in Connecticut full-time where I thought I was going to be safe. So, I thought there was probably a 5% chance that I would get let go. And then, of course, that happens, and I'm completely blindsided. And that was through talking to my agent and asking around campus in Bristol and trying to say, hey, what, you know, what's going on? What are you thinking? And, and, and my colleagues, and everybody's like, oh, there's no way you're going to get let go. You do too much. And I did. I felt like I did do a lot of work. Like, I feel like if you just did our pay based on hours, I think I would be one of the highest paid people in Bristol because I was there all the time 
six days a week during college football, you know, doing a radio show year-round with Ryan. And I loved it. Like, I, I literally, I loved what I was doing. I had a ton of fun doing it. So when I was let go, I was like, man, where did this come from? I was depressed. And then it didn't get any easier because I was still under contract and couldn't work until we worked out an agreement of where I could work and where I could go. So it was very complicated, and it was very um, challenging for me. And there were some times, there were some low points, and I'm sitting there feeling sorry for myself. My wife had to give me a kick in the butt and say, come on, let's go. You know, you're still good at what you do. And I had to, you know, kind of check that at the door and say, all right, let's go. Let's get back on the horse. And, you know, I missed having a voice and being able to give an opinion that, that kind of matters a little bit. And grand scheme of things, none of our opinions matter that much. But I'm passionate about sports, and I love talking about college football and being a part of it. And I'm extremely, extremely grateful that I was given an opportunity with other avenues. So I kind of joke with people now because I'm doing a lot of the same things. I just have way more bosses now because <laughs> I used to, <laughs> you know, I used to do everything under the ESPN umbrella. Now I have a radio show on Sirius XM. I do stuff with CBS Sports down in South Florida, and I have a podcast with CBS, uh, CBS Sports with Raja Bell. I do TV stuff with FS1, and I call games with FS1. So I have all these different bosses now that I answer to, but I'm extremely great, grateful to all of them that they're still allowing me to do what I love. Because the bottom line, like I, have, I still have an incredible job, an incredible occupation that I get to talk about football, college football. Are you kidding me? I would be doing this. Uh, on my couch, you know, every Saturday if I wasn't getting paid to do it, but the, the people are going to pay me to do this. I feel incredibly fortunate that I was able to have other opportunities because I, you know, to be honest with you, I don't know what I would have done. Like, am I going to go start doing real estate? <laughs> am I going to sell insurance? I don't know. None of those sound very fun to me. Maybe you could be Willie Taggart's new quarterback coach, but you don't need to do that quite <laughs> yet. So I got to, I got to ask you this because shortly into your serious tenure, College Sports Nation Channel 84 gets rebranded as ESPNU Radio. When you hear that news, tell me what the expression on your face was like. It was laughter. I just, I was like, this is really ironic, and it was very confusing to people on Twitter. Like when I posted it, they're like, wait, didn't you get fired? It was funny because some of the people from Sirius that I was talking to after I'd signed the deal, like I knew it was coming and they kind of gave me a heads up. But then some of the people that had just met me and like they had to tell me, they're like, hey, uh, they were really hesitant. Like they thought I'd be upset or mad. I don't, I don't know what emotion they thought, but I was like, are you kidding me? I was like, I don't care. You know, I don't, I don't have any, I have some Ill, Ill will towards some people that I feel like had to do with the decision that was made to let me go. But I had a lot of great friends that still work at ESPN and I think they do a great job. And, um, you know, I, I, there was no ill will towards that brand as a whole. But, you know, for me, I was like, oh, this is, this is great. Because I, I think it's better for SiriusXM. I think, I think it's a better product, and there's more brand recognition where people might tune in and say, hey, that's ESPNU. Let, let me check it out. So it was, it was funny. There was some laughter that took place. But ultimately, I wasn't, I wasn't phased by it at all. All right, Danny, last question for you. As you know as well as anybody, these arrangements that you have on the air, these teams that you have – uh, doing radio shows, I mean, a lot of times they're like a second marriage and you hang around with these folks more than you do your own wife and kids back home. So what is your relationship like with Orion Rossillo these days and some of the analysts and expert types that you spent so much time with at ESPN? Now that you're the quote unquote ex-ESPN guy, are you, yeah. you know, persona non grata now or is everybody still totally cool and trades messages back and forth? And you know what, if there's a family barbecue, you're still going to get an invite. 
No, that was the thing, too, is like the friendships that I developed, those aren't going to change at all. And everybody was really supportive when I was let go. I've received so many text messages and, and voices of support. And now having a bunch of the people on the show that I'm on as guests, like I've still kept in touch with them. Ryan, who went after me and totally trashed me the other day on a yes, show. Yes, he did. I texted him after him like, what's up with that? So I had him on my podcast and we were able to address it and have it out. That was my only regret is I wanted to be there with him. I wanted to be there and be able to defend myself a little bit. But, you know, that, that obviously wasn't going to happen with the way things worked out. But, like, all, like, I've talked to Pollock and I talked to Reese and, you know, Herb Street got upset me the other day. I haven't cleared the air with him or anything, but he kind of called me out. But for the most part, like, all those people are just really good people and they're all passionate about the same things that I'm passionate about. So we all kind of get it. But everybody's been fantastic. There's no, like I said, I, I root for all those, like, I love all the people I worked with on air and most of the people that I worked on shows with. Like, I don't have any grudges towards them and they've been all really cool to me. So it's been, uh, it's been weird. And it's been a transition, but I think in the long term, I think I'm going to be better off because of it. Danny, thank you so much for joining me. That really was a lot of fun, and uh, go Knowles, right? Yeah, there you go. I'm sure the SEC fans will love that. Uh, I'm pretty sure our producer will edit that out one. He'll edit it out of that. All right. All right. That was Danny Cannell. You can hear him on ESPNU Radio Sirius XM Channel 84 from 1 to 4 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Friday. And also follow him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. He gets a little spicy from time to time. And thank you for listening to the Saturday Down South podcast. Special thanks to our friends at WDAE in Tampa and our sponsor, SweetHop.com. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe on iTunes or wherever your favorite podcast can be found. Be sure to give the show a rating as well. My name is John Christ, and for all SEC all the time, visit SaturdayDownSouth.com.